Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the World Footprints Radio Book Club. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Can four friends travel through five countries on two continents to get ten major music artists to appear on a tribute album to one unknown songwriter? Well, that's the question we're going to have answered with today's book club reading, A Far Cry from Sunset. The unknown songwriter is our book's author, Billy Franks. The first chapter has Billy admitting that he is a man whose dreams didn't come true. The latter chapters describe a verbal altercation with singer Brian Adams, and everything in between offers a cross between science fiction, suspense, and comedy relief. Did Billy and his friends achieve their goal, or did they realize new and unexpected dreams? We'll find out. Author and songwriter Billy Franks joins us from London, England today to talk about his book. Billy, welcome. It's nice to be here. Thank you. So what inspired... The answer to the question, by the way, is yeah, yeah. five friends travel four countries and megastars on an album to uh, an unknown songwriter, is yes, we can travel, and we did do that, um, with varying degrees of success. But we certainly, to answer your other question, we did learn a lot Apart from the fact that it was very difficult to even get these people to sort up with us or, or answer the question directly, we did learn a lot about the nature of ourselves and success itself, you know, and, and what it really meant well, and whether I mean, or not. Yeah, but given all the, the challenges that you knew you were going to face, what, what really yeah. prompted you to, to go forward with us? Well, it started off as, as a kind of joke. I was going to be on a tribute out on Bruce Springsteen. Magazine, and at the last minute, El Costello was asked to be on, and so I got pushed off. And I was with my three friends from Philadelphia, and I, as a joke, I just said, I, I don't care, I'm just going to get some fame to make a tribute album to me. And they thought that was funny. And then the guy who runs the film company, the writer director, he just said, You know what? It'd be a great idea for a road movie. We'll just hit the road, take cameras, and, and do it very guerrilla style, and try and talk to 10 famous people and ask them if they'll be on a tribute album to you. And um and have fun while doing it. Travelled for like eight months or less, um, without a break. And we had probably the time of all four of us. It was fantastic. Mm. So so everything that you went through, you know, the, the highs and some lows, I mean I had some visceral yeah. reactions when I was reading your books. It sometimes, oh. you know, I laughed out loud, other times I cringed yeah. and I think people riding the metro with me might have thought I was going a bit num- you know, a bit mental, but you know, was it <laughs> was it all worth it to you? Yes, it really was. I mean, for, for for the way I felt when we were done, and I do say this in my book, and you hinted at it yourself, is that I really did feel towards the end of our journey that I wouldn't have swapped, a, a taken a year of any of those famous people's lives for for one day of the life we were living while we were making the film, and, mm. and I was collecting notes for the eventual book. It really was life lived brilliantly, and we had a fantastic time. It really... As a French, our friendship, which goes back, you know, 25 years anyway, was just so cemented by that whole experience, and it was unforgettable in so many ways. So, and I think that itself, regardless of the outcome, was what made it successful for us. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm going to just so our audience can get a, a, a sense of what you experienced. I want to ask you to read a, a brief passage from your book, A Far, a Far Cry from Sunset. Okay, the passage. 
uh, I'm thinking of reading doesn't actually involve uh, traveling to make the movie. It's from a, an earlier part of my life when, but it does tell you a lot about my attitude towards famous people because it was, I was in a band called the Faith Brothers and we were invited to do some shows with you too. And I got to have a, a very brief conversation with Bono this year. And um, I was going to read you that section. That would be okay. Sure. I was in the bank of Faith Brothers, and this, this is where it would pick up. This is in 1985. And he says, On the tour with Alarm, we had just finished a storming set, club bubbling one. We were sweating off in the dressing room when there was a light rap on the door. Our tour manager took a peek outside and turned to tell us, You two are here and would like to come in and say hello. Greetings and compliments were exchanged, and the band took leave to catch the headline set. A few days later, I got a call from our agent that Bono had called him and asked if we would open for them at Milton Keynes for that summer. Now, Milton Keynes Bar, I should add, is 63,000 people. <laughs> Only a few weeks before that, we were playing in small bars, so it was a big deal for us. So I think if it carries on, about a stage before an audience of that magnitude is at the heart of my dream. Only months earlier, we were playing for six people at the King's Head in Fulham High Street. A few weeks from now, it would be more than 60,000, and we were thrilled. By now, we'd gotten ourselves a manager and we'd pulled ourselves out and needed to be dragged along in whatever direction we were taking. The Milton Kings Bowl gig with you two was a great day out. We got our family and friends passes into the backstage enclosure and while the band ate lunch with Billy Bray, Arm and Ramon, there was a small sort of unreality about it. At some point during the afternoon, Bono came to talk to me. The first thing he said was that he thought my song, The Easter Parade, was a beautiful song. That was cool. It's a song I was proud of, and it would show that big names were checking us out. But then he went into one of his famous bogs. <laughs> Bono was young back then and very passionate. Bono was sure of his mission, but man, could he look. He rushed for an absolute eternity, mainly about all the saving that he had to be doing. People lost souls, the world, etc. I was a similar mind myself, so I enjoyed the first exchanges, but he just wouldn't stop. And the faces were to be first on stage, and all I wanted to think about was that. So I uh, snatched my opportunity to escape. I saw Billy Bragg enter the caravan that he was sharing with the Faith Brothers and told you two main men that Bragg and I were thinking of singing a duet together and I had to go practice with him. It was a barefaced lie, but my head hurt. Mm -hmm. Later, someone from our record company tried to get us together again. He said, let's take a picture of you and Bono. I bet we can make the NME next week. I can't say the next bit, but let's just say, <laughs> get lost, I hinted. That was a euphemism <laughs> for something a little bit yeah. stronger. Yeah. That's <laughs> I hinted. You're listening to the World Footprints Radio Book Club. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and I'm joined by songwriter and author Billy Franks, who just read a passage from his new book, A Far Cry from Sunset. Now, Billy, you've mentioned that you learned a lot about yourself uh, on, on yeah. this journey, what, what's one thing that really surprised you about yourself that you learned? One, one was really was was what I considered to be success because I've always managed to stay in the game and make a living at what I do, and and I've always kept my integrity in in, in a sense that like I've never taken the money or the fame, but more importantly to me, the quality of my work, you know, and I've always stuck to that principle. It suddenly, I suddenly realized how worthwhile that was to have done that because I've done it instinctively from the very beginning, from when I was a young man. 
But it, it made me realise that I'd done the right thing and I felt happy within myself, regardless of whether I was a success in anyone else's eyes or not. Mm-hmm. In my own, I really was. You know, I can still fill a small club anywhere in the country. I still sell a regular amount of records. And my book is doing very well. Mm-hmm. So I have no reason to be unhappy with my lot. And um, I certainly got the impression from a lot of the famous people that I was not happier than some of them were. <laughs> so right. there was a... It, it was a real curve for me. It really came out of it with a new perspective on, on because I've been in this, you know, making music since I was a young child, and now I'm like a fully grown man, and I've never regretted it. But like, it was nice to have it confirmed that I'd done it the right way, mm-hmm. for, at least for myself. Well, that that that's a, a priceless uh, epiphany for sure. Um, it is. We've been talking to songwriter Billy Franks about his new book, A Far Cry from Sunset, and now we're joined, uh, going to be joined by three listener reviewers who have also enjoyed reading this book and have some comments and questions for Billy. I'm, Fantastic. I'm pleased to introduce Sarah Mendelson, a graduate student from Norfolk, Virginia. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Tanya. Hi, Billy. Hello, and, Sarah. How are you? And uh, fine, we're also joined. You. We're also joined by Mary Jo Shackelford, a marketing executive from Washington D.C. Hey, Mary Jo. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Billy. <laughs> Hello, Mary Jo. How are you? And uh, and finally, Deborah Suttis, a university executive assistant uh, from Lansing, Michigan. Debbie, welcome back. Thanks. Hi, Tanya. How are you, Billy? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. How are you? So, Mary Jo, I'm sorry. Mary Jo, I'm going to start with you. I received an email comment um, about your reading of A Far Cry from Sunset, and I'm going to actually let you share that uh, with Billy. So, (laughs) do do share your your comment. Don't worry, Billy. We're a a good crowd here. Uh, But, yeah, I yeah, promise it's good, Billy. Uh, you know, I can't okay, remember no. exactly. Can't remember exactly what the email said, but I, I have to tell you, this was. Um, it, it was just an awesome read. Uh, you know, you start out wow. thinking that uh, I'm going to hear the story about making this movie, and your first question of I had two first questions: Did they really make the the movie, and did they get the album made? And secondly, what is this far cry from sunset? What does that mean? Um, so I okay. truly appreciated learning that uh, and uh, loved okay. that. But I just, you know, the the book was on, there were just so many levels to the book. Uh, and it got me thinking not only about your life as a songwriter, you know, and your comment about at one point I believe you were saying, you felt that the band, the Faith Brothers, had become essentially too successful for their own good, and it was hampering your success moving forward because the front bands no longer trusted you to open for them because you were really too good. No, we 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 were well, we were very um, mercenary when we were touring, particularly. You mm-hmm. know, like a, 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 ever since I took the guitar up and piano and, and took to the stage, I, I've always considered every gig to be my own. You know, whether I'm the opening act or the headline. And, and so when we toured with, with other acts, we were very mercenary, and, and we would consider it our gig and try to leave, having made a lasting impression. And, and which, which I think, just from attitude alone, we do. And and, and listen, if it was the other way around, and I was the main band, and some came tearing around the stage the way we used to. I might be a little put out myself, you know, so I could understand it. And then 
once we'd done about four or five tours with REM and some Pete Townsend gigs and mm-hmm. and some U2 shows and stuff, and then other bands like Simple Minds and well, I shouldn't really tell you the names were too late. Um, they refused then for us. We put on tours with them, but they refused to take us for yeah. because they didn't want to go after us. Yeah, a victim, a victim of your own success, essentially. But you know, on, on well, a whole, victim of our own love of what we were doing—that was the thing. Cause right. I've always loved what I do, you know, and, and it, mm-hmm. I think it shows in the performances, and I think that was it, really. Right. Right. But yes, um, but, no, Joe. To answer your other questions, one was, did we make the film? Yes, we did, and we, we then took the film around the independent film festival circuit, where it, it won a string of awards and was very popular. Mm-hmm. Right. Did, and, you have um, another, did you have another question for Billy? Well, um, actually, just a comment on reading the, the section about your horrible, horrible accident with the bicycle and yes. the truck. Um, I, it, it really, when I start to say this, you know, there are so many dimensions to the book, it really got me thinking about the difference between the uh, health care system in the UK versus the healthcare system now, which could lead us on to a whole political discussion that we don't want to get into. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just I just want to thank you for sharing that because I'm I'm sure that was a very very difficult time and and was probably a difficult piece to really write. Um, it was the toughest part of the book to write because I think you can relive any other emotion like sadness or or. But to relive terror is is a hell of a thing. And when I wrote that section of the book, I had to keep getting up from the desk and just walking around and pacing it off because it, mm-hmm. to put myself back in that place, which I had to do to write it honestly, was mm-hmm. quite frightening because it was quite a frightening time in my life. You know? That, yeah. that was uh, th- that was the the section that I visibly cringed uh, on the mm-hmm. metro, and I, I think you know <laughs> observers probably thought something was wrong with me. Um, I want to go next to to Sarah. Sarah, what are your questions or comments for Billy? Well, um, I actually w- w- had some questions also about the accident um, because that um, the accident was such a a very dramatic point in the book, and I felt yeah. my heart yeah. my heart just wrenched for you um, at what you were yeah. going through. And um, I, I I consider myself sort of a music junkie, <laughs> and I, sure. I I consider music to be sort of the highest form of art, certainly for me. And I am not a musician at all. I just sing along with the radio. But um, but I couldn't <laughs> imagine my life without music. I um. I just I think that without music, you know, life would be so much less rich. So, for me, um, I really do appreciate the artistry that goes into creating a music career, whether you end up being well known or not, and um, and the perseverance that it takes to continue on. And it sounds yeah. like you know you faced many obstacles in your life from. A childhood of poverty and, um, you know, having some separations from family and then going through this terrible accident, which I think must have been very traumatic. Um, and I'm yeah. wondering how those particular parts of your life and that and that particular um, episode with, with being hospitalized so long and in terrible yeah. physical pain, I'm wondering how that contributed to your music. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, well, I think firstly, the, the ability to, to recover or to, to, to stay, remain strong and steadfast, whatever I'm doing, comes from all those hardships that happened earlier in my life. So I think by the time the accident happened, I was already pretty tough, you know, and, mm-hmm. and more than anything else, it was just, I just didn't want to be that person, you know, like that, that I could have easily become, you know. I didn't want to be in any way held back or disabled or laid up or anything. I, I wanted to get back to do what I have as soon as possible. And, that helped me through it. But um, how did it change my music? Um, see, it, it made me realise that how easily the way it could be, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, had I hurt any of my limbs, like my hands or, or anything, you know, I, I, I may never have been able to play or, or make music again. And, and so, like, it, that was the first thing when I when I came round in intensive care. First thing I did was check that I still had one of my legs because I was worried that they'd take me off. And then, once I got the use, one of my arms was messed up too, and I remember, like, I was really upset because it was the guitar, the, the sort of technical, the left hand, which does all the technical work on the guitar. And I remember it didn't move at first, and I was so relieved when it came back to life. And then I thought, uh-huh. gosh, you know, it would take nothing for this to be taken away from me in an instant. And so I'm, right. I'm very, <laughs> I take very care of, you know, my hands. <laughs> particularly. So it gave you a kind of a new perspective and a new appreciation for maybe living in the moment and appreciating yes. all of the, your abilities and um, being conscious. Um, I think that of, living in the moment thing would for anybody that was that came that close, you know. I think right. anybody would kind of go, wow. You know, you do, it sounds like a cliche, but you do suddenly realize that so many simple things in life are very precious. You know, and you can easily go chasing the wrong thing. Forget the stuff that really is important. You know, I was luckily that. Well, I say luckily. It happened to me when I was a young man, so I learned that lesson very quickly, and and so I stuck always to what I felt was right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always been how I followed everything. I just go, what feels like the right thing to do. Mm. Well, and that you know that creates a life of honesty and um, and integrity. So I I really appreciate that, is- that you shared that part of yourself in the book. So You're very welcome. Let, let's uh, let's turn to Debbie. Debbie, what were your thoughts about a far cry from sunset? And do you have any questions for Billy? I do. I really enjoyed reading the book, Billy. It's a fantastic book. Uh, but the the Thank one you. part of the book that stuck out to me the most that I had the most fun reading was when you were younger and you were putting the little band together, and you were how you got your <laughs> ready your equipment. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> That made me it's laugh. Funny, I laughed until I cried. I laughed until I cried. I couldn't believe you were like just kind of like scouting out uh, bands to see what equipment they had and see if you and your friend could get in, get in and get out without getting caught. And then, and then when you were wheeling it down the street and the wheel on the wheelchair yeah. broke and and the band, the other band started laughing at you and. Your your friend looked at you and said that we just need to get about a better yeah. wheelchair now. That's how that means. That's my brother, <laughs> well, I thought that was hilarious. London on a wheelchair, and from gig to gig, and we, but it, none of those things like stealing from famous bands and pushing our gear around South London on a wheelchair never felt anything other than normal to me. I didn't realise that other bands had a van or their own, <laughs> and um. What happened was that the wheelchair collapsed outside a big theatre where Blue Oyster Cult, who were a big band at the time, were rehearsing, and right. they had a, a fleet. Of, they had a whole fleet of trucks and twenty road crew who just found it hysterical that we had a buckled wheelchair that now collapsed in front of them. And when we got home, I was seething because I've always had a lot of 
I had as a young man, I, I wanted to be considered a professional, you know, like I was the real thing. And so I couldn't take all the mockery. <laughs> so when I was telling my brother that I just had enough and he was the drummer in my band at the time, and I said, I can't do this anymore. We have a change of attitude, you know, it's, it's just mm, right. And he said, you're right, man, we're going to have to buy a new wheelchair. And it's just, <laughs> what were you thinking? Like, you know, what were they thinking? No one's laughing now, right? We have a new wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> that was so best. I, I really enjoyed that because to me it showed how you were so dedicated to your music yeah. and to your music career. And, you know, that could have deterred someone, but it didn't. It didn't deter you at all. If anything, no. I think it made you all stronger and like, we're going to get this done. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that it somehow that was even an experience I learned to be that way is that and people say to me how do you keep going I go well it's not even a matter of keep going and have it you know that pulls me in the same way you know this mm -hmm. is this is who I am this is what I do and for better or worse it's like I'm married to it so and, and I will never do anything else I can't do anything else regardless you know I could, could be a major success and it would change anything really other than the fact that the audiences might get a bit but my love for it wouldn't get any greater than it is so. hmm you're listening to the World Footprints Radio Book Club, and we're talking with songwriter Billy Franks about his new book, A Far Cry from Sunset. And we're also joined by listener reviewers Sarah Mendelson, Mary Jo Shackelford, and Deborah Sadeth. Billy, I'm, I'm just curious. You know, hindsight is 2020. Is there anything, looking back now, is there anything you would have done differently? Um. I have, a, I have a general look on that, and that is like, if you're happy, everything falls into line as far as the past is concerned, because that's how you got to where you are. I'm a very happy man, you know, so it's very hard for me to regret anything. I think that some decisions I made, that because, because of my self-preservation, I always had this thing, and you can call it integrity or what, but I always had this thing that like, in order, cause I'm not a religious man, but I consider... I do have a soul of some kind, and, and for me, it's represented by what I do, like music or writing. That's, that is me, you know. And so they're not really for sale. There are some decisions I made that were very bordered on being belligerent, you know, where I could easily have made my life a lot easier for myself and my family and my bandmates and everything had I not been so, so determined to do it my way only. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a, I, when I look back at myself as a young man, I was I was so adamant that it was either done my way or or I wasn't doing it at all. But I do wonder sometimes whether I'm a little I don't know, like no, I, I wouldn't say I was arrogant, but do you know what I mean? I was very de determined to to only have it my way. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder if, with hindsight, whether I could have been a little easier about some things. Well, you know, I, I seem to think that you are where you're supposed to be at that particular moment. And so there, you know, there was a lesson there. And, you know, but what you, what has happened is that you've given us, uh, all on this, this, uh, radio interview a, uh, a really, really good read. And, uh, you know, as Mary Jo said, uh, there were so many different layers to, to your book. And, you know, I think, we all went through different emotional experiences as we as we read it, um, and uh, you know at the end of the day it it was a um, it, and I'm not going to give you know the whole story away, but there was a a very good ending. Uh, I was pleased with yeah. the, with the ending. I was a little bit worried, a little bit yeah. worried towards the, you know the end chapter, but I was pleased uh, at the end of the day with uh, yeah. with with how you ended the book. Would you guys? That's, agree? that's a wonderful thing to say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. 
definitely. Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm glad, really. I'm really glad you feel that way because I didn't know that. I only knew the ending was going to be an ending where I would summarize and, and say how I felt about with you know, having done, made that journey. But I didn't realize how complete it would be. You know, when I put the last words down, I remember thinking, there you go, there's, there's your answer, you know? I, I, I think, you know, there was a time when I actually had to put the book down because it, 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 towards the end it made me sad. And I, you know, I like yeah. happy endings, um, which you gave us um, at the end, but it's kind of getting through that, you know, past that Brian Adams uh, debacle. Yeah. You should have been you, sat in the house with you. What's that? You should have been sat in the house on the chin. It was awful. Oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was a fan of Brian Adams, but I've, I've changed my outlook on him <laughs> because of your. Yeah, well, the film around the film hey. festivals, and since the you now, I think people have seen it as a one-man Andy Adams campaign. But that wasn't. I only told the story the way it unfolded. I didn't cast any light upon it myself. You know, I didn't take a particular view upon it. I just wrote it up as it was. And but um. It, there's no doubt about it. I, I don't want to go into detail either, but like, there, there was just no need for, 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 to place it there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is what it is. Uh, I'm sure he had his own reasons. But I'm, gl- I'm so glad you all enjoyed the book. Stay in touch. If you go to billyfranks. mail me at billyfranks.com and stay in touch. I'll keep you updated to you know any progress that I might make. Because I know that there's a TV series <laughs> being made from the movie footage now. So is that right? Stay in touch with me. Oh wow! Yeah, that, we, Fun. Right. Which would really be something. So, um, but if you st- if you drop me an email, Billy BillyFranks dot com, then I'll keep you posted as to, to progress with it. So, well, thank you for for this book. A Far Cry from Sunset is a must read for anyone considering entering the music business or for anyone searching to fulfill an unrequited dream. If you want to live Billy Frank's dream vicariously and see the power of the human spirit at work, we have a link to A Far Cry from Sunset on our website at worldfootprints.com. And while there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on your favorite social network. Thank you so much for joining us on this literary journey today, and many thanks to songwriter Billy Franks for spending time with us from London. Billy, I wish I was there with you now. Um, well, the weather's turned, so it's not bad, but it's been very cold lately. But listen, before I go, I'd like to thank uh, Sarah, Deb, and Mary Jo for, for taking part and, and being so kind about the book, and yourself too, Tanya. I, and it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Uh, well, the pleasure's been, been ours, and I echo the, the thank you to our panel of listener reviewers, Sarah Mendelson, Mary Jo Shackelford, and Deborah Suttis. Um, for really helping to foster an engaging conversation. And I have to send a special thank you to the man behind the scenes who's going to make us all sound really good, uh, my co-host and husband, Ian Fitzpatrick. Um, I, thank I, you. <laughs> that was a hello from Billy, dear. Um, and I'd certainly like to... Uh, to, to um, Thank everybody for joining the World Footprints uh, Book Club radio show today. And if you'd like to join uh, the book club as a listener reviewer, please email us at bookclub at worldfootprints.com. As you can see, we have a lot of fun uh, talking with authors and living vicariously uh, through, through their experiences. And, you know, as George Martin once said, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one, 
And if you think about it, it's a very powerful statement. So, Billy, thank you for allowing us to live an extra life today. (laughs) Right. Well, I've got four extra lives, too, so (laughs) for a few minutes. Well, we we invite everyone to uh, join us next time as we experience another life and a new world through a writer's pen on the next World Footprints Radio Book Club. And until we meet again, happy reading, everyone. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved. Police in the UK free 19 women who were forced to work as prostitutes. Nigerian officials save more than 100 children from traffickers. And in China, officers rescue 53 baby boys who were due to be sold by a trafficking ring. Human trafficking affects every country in the world. But by joining forces, we can fight this crime. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with One Brick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule, and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterward. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. One Brick. Volunteering made easy. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Did you know that World Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make worldfootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services.